Hey, this is Katie Waters. You're listening to New NUMA Podcast. Tune in every week for a new podcast and make sure you subscribe. Thanks for listening to the New NUMA Godcast today. As always, we ask for your support and there are several ways you may do so. The first step is subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're on iTunes, Anchor, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and many more. Did you know that testimonies are one of the biggest ways to build credibility? Well, that's why we need the following to happen, which is one of the most important things we may ask from you. If you're on iTunes, once you subscribe to the podcast, immediately before life kicks in and you forget about it, rate the podcast in two easy steps which are only available on iTunes. First, give us a five-star rating, which gives us more visibility in the podcast rankings. And after you rate the podcast, write an inspiring comment about the podcast that will tell others why they should listen to the podcast. Second step, follow us on your favorite social media platforms. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Parler, and YouTube. Third step, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Fourth step, subscribe to our email list at newnuma.com forward slash subscribe. Last but not least, notice how none of the above steps cost any money. However, if you care to give to the mission, you may send as little as 99 cents per month, up to as much as you would like to send into this ministry. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash new dash numa and scroll down to where you will find the support button click there and the rest will be clear once again we appreciate you and your support this is norm from the new numa godcast peace you are tuned into the new numa godcast hosted by norman brown aka professor where we address the taboo from a biblical view Our podcast is all about real talk with new life. And quite frankly, you'll either love it or you won't. Because we deal with tough topics that the church rarely touches. Somebody's got to do it. And that's why we exist. So just sit back, chill, and enjoy the ride. Because it's going to be good. Peace. Last week... I saw this thing about Mm Chick-fil-A, and when I saw it, the first thing that came to my mind is, are they about to sell out? (laughs) And and after that, the thought came to my mind about legacies, and I didn't really explain to you in detail at that time why that came to my mind, but what happened was, I started thinking about people like David, for instance, right? Now, we know that there were many kings of Israel, and sometimes it would say in the Bible, this king served the Lord and did what was right in his sight, and this, that, and the third. Then the very next king was doing all this evil stuff. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, man. So in my mind, I was thinking, like, how do we actually, like, how can we actually look at legacies? Like, for instance, most people, they'll think, like, for instance, let's just say with Billy Graham, right? So Billy Graham has this really nice museum that they have down in North Carolina or something like that. People Mm -hmm. go to it and whatnot. And his son is carrying on the ministry legacy and all that kind of stuff or whatnot. 
The question remains, though, okay, Billy Graham started a legacy. We don't know about his parents before him because they weren't famous. Mm-hmm. But he became famous. Now his son is famous. And his son is continuing the legacy. But the question is, how far down the line will the legacy be continued? Mm. Like, for instance, a Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth has a granddaughter that's alive right now. Um, she may be a great-granddaughter. I'm not sure. But anyway, she's in that line. And she apparently is still serve. She's serving the Lord. Mm-hmm. But the thing, I guess, what I was thinking about is there are no guarantees of generations to come continuing to serve God or continuing the legacy that you started. Mm. And that was concerning me a little bit because when I listen to certain types of groups of people out there, I don't want to name their names right now because I don't want certain people that listen to this podcast start looking them up or whatever. But there are some really wealthy families Mm -hmm. that are well known around the planet. And that should be enough for people to kind of know who I'm talking about. But these kinds of families have planned for their generations to follow to do certain things. And they continue to amass wealth. And they continue to do certain things in the earth. And my my thing is when I look at that, like, why is it that they are able to get their kids on board and they just continue to do this for generations upon generations? But why is it that, for instance, in David's case, he had certain generations that did serve God, certain generations that didn't serve God after him. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I mean, that's a big question. It, it's it's kind of hard to answer honestly for me because, I mean, I'm thinking of just like, if you think, I, I, I automatically go back to the church. Like, think about Jesus' legacy, you know, and I think even when Paul, when he was a, uh, he was getting ready to be um, martyred. You know, he, he met up with the church. I think it was the church at Ephesus or one, one particular congregation he met up with. And he gave them like his big old farewell sermon or speech or whatever. And he said, you know, even among you shall there arise wolves, you know, who will come in cunningly and not spare the flock and, you know, mm-hmm. want to take advantage of them. And he said, and then the scriptures say that he even said this in tears, you know, they were because his heart was so broken and what was going to happen. Um, I don't know. I think it's a powerful reality. I don't know if there's like a foolproof because even Jesus' legacy has been, I mean, his legacy is, is, is eternal. Like nobody can smear his legacy, but yeah. his name has been misrepresented. Yes. Rather to mm-hmm. say, you know, by thousands, you know, millions even throughout history. So... I mean, it's a hard thing, but uh, when you started talking, the scripture came to mind from Ecclesiastes where Solomon's talking about, he's like, don't get so proud of your money and start amassing all these riches because you don't know if the people after you are going to do good or evil with it, you know, so don't get so cocky and and boisterous about it. And you, you said, that's a vain thing. You, you know, you still hard to think, and you don't got no control over what happens to it after you go. So I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a big thing. It's a big topic. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting that you said it that way because um, I've often thought about how the scriptures use these analogies about white as snow and linen, 
you know, pure linen and stuff like that. You know, your linen won't be sweated through and stuff like that. Mm. All the stuff that sounds impossible. <laughs> like, how do you not sweat in linen? It's warm when you sweat, when you got linen on, it's warm. Mm. So why wouldn't you be sweaty in linen? You feel me? Or when it comes to snow, snow only looks good until you start walking and driving in it. Right. Once that happens, now it's getting dirty, muddy, nasty, sloppy. You know what I'm saying? So mm. when I listen to those kind of scriptures, that's a dichotomy of the gospel of certain things that are used as analogies about our lifestyle and stuff like that. So having said that, I was thinking about how it's so easy for evil to exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it's so much harder for righteousness to exist. And in the world that we live in, evil is the prevailing thing in the sense that it's easy to give in to evil, but it's harder to do what's right. Yeah. Now, with that being said, it makes some sense why there's certain families that are still thriving after a hundred years of being around and doing what they're doing and stuff because they doing evil. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, <clears throat> the whole thought of them uh, having to work to make their, their family members do evil stuff, it's not going to be hard to say, hey, guess what? In your fleshly desire, we are going to rule the world. And we're going to do this to everybody and we're going to make them submit to us and we're going to have all the power and all the money and it don't take much to make people want that. You know what I'm saying? Right. It doesn't take much to keep people wanting to go after that because when they taste it and they don't have God, they don't have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it's easy for them to be arrogant. It's easy for them to be greedy. It's easy for them to be a womanizer. It's easy to be, you know, whatever, a murderer. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. All those things are easy when it comes to trying to, I guess the word is, perpetuate something Mm -hmm. throughout generations. And there are families, well-known families, like I said before, they actually teach this to their kids. This is what they want. They tell their kids, like, so many words, well, you're special, you're higher and above all these other people, and, you know, you have power over them, and you could do whatever you want, whenever you want, and all you got to do is just keep on building up wealth. And Mm -hmm. then what happens is, because they control systems a lot of times, they're able to rig it for their good, you know? Like, I heard about the Rothschilds. They actually rigged the stock market in London for themselves. And the way that they did it, I don't remember the exact way to say the story, but the way it basically went was one of the sons, he knew that another son was going to come and do a certain thing at the stock market. So he did something on the side to make it look like everything was going down or whatever so that the other one could come and buy And then when it came back up, they were having all this money. So they rigged the whole system with the stock market. Mm. Plus, they bought banks in all these countries. They have five major banks, five countries 
so that they could be able to rule in some kind of financial way. So they had a bank in Germany. They had a bank in um, England. They had a bank in France, a bank in Spain, I believe, and a bank in Italy. So all these places had these banks. And the, the way that they were doing it was they would get people. And in the beginning, what they did was they had people to um, pay them to hold on to their gold and stuff. So this is when you could kind of say when the banking idea started. Mm-hmm. We'll give you a certificate and we'll hold on to your thing, but you got to give us interest on what we held, we held for you. You know what I'm saying? You're going to pay us that interest. So that's what they did. Because of them doing this, they moved up into the ranks of aristocracy, and now they became known as aristocrats, mm. even though they were not coming from any royal line. That's how they brought their way into that kind of world. And then after that, it's like they gained more and more of a foothold in all these countries. They were doing the same thing. Wow. And so they became very powerful and strong and all that. And so they are now at the point that, you know, pretty much nobody can touch them, so to speak, yeah. except God, you know, pretty much. Right. Um, <clears throat> my point in saying all that is that when you have people that are willing to do anything and everything they can to be able to get wealthy and all that, then it's not hard to continue a legacy like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But when you're talking about having morals, you're talking about having ethics, you're talking about doing things a righteous way or whatever, that's when the battle starts. Mm-hmm. So now, looking at this Chick-fil-A situation, you know, their founder was a Christian and he wanted this thing to be based on Christian values, everything about it. And I remember, um, you know, I just remember growing up eating Chick-fil-A. I know I used to live in, um, I used to live down in Florida and uh, South Carolina as a kid for some years, a couple mm-hmm. years. And um, down there, they had Chick-fil-A already. Yeah. So I remember eating that food, but I never knew that he was a Christian, the one who owned that whole thing. And it because of, I guess, the way that it was, you never saw a bunch of Chick-fil-A's all over the place either. Mm-hmm. So I always was like, oh, okay, like thinking, oh, they only had one per city or something like that or whatever. I didn't know. But um, the point is, is that, you know, now you see where it's come, and it's like all over the place. And from what I read, it's number three in fast food chains in America. Mm. And it's private still. It's not even out there for public trade or anything. Yeah. That's a big deal, man. <laughs> yeah, That's a real big deal. So the point is, is that now it's like you see that obviously his descendants had to take over because he's not alive. And now it's like with all the stuff that's going on in America, with everything you can think of being ungodly and against God, now it's like, okay, who's going to stand under the pressure of whatever these groups are bringing? Yeah. Mm. What were you going to say? No, it's... (laughs) It's just interesting because I honestly, 
it's just it's just powerful how the book of Ecclesiastes is really ringing in my ears right now. Like there's nothing new under the sun. Because immediately I start to think about you remember um it was King David who you know who's revered as one of the greatest kings in, in Israeli history, Jewish history. He built up his kingdom so well that it was under his son Solomon's reign that there was a there was a reign of unprecedented peace. peace yeah. Like never in wealth, mm-hmm. like never seen before in Israel. Mm-hmm. Never seen before, never seen after. But under Solomon. And it's just interesting because you see how the rewards of the righteous carried over to the son in such a phenomenal way. Solomon didn't do that by himself. It was because of a lot of things his father really did. And his father was a man after God's own heart. And you see how, I mean, Solomon, he had some problems, you know. He wasn't, he wasn't working, yeah. right? But at the end of it all, he still kept his fear of God, you know. And I honestly believe that was the contributing factor to his entire prosperity because now I'm looking at Chick-fil-A as like they built on the foundation of Christ. So it's a little different because now they're held accountable for like deviating from their path. Like if you build on wickedness, like you're not held as accountable. Yeah. You're still accountable. But you build on righteousness and then you deviated from from it you're now held accountable. And I honestly believe, I honestly believe Chick-fil-A is about to, if, the, if they've truly chose chosen to deviate from this path. And it's interesting because I was recently just reading that um, Chick-fil-A is now, um, contrib- they contributed something, some amount in the thousands to an organization that has listed a number of Christian organizations as hate groups. Hmm. So they've listed, like, for example, the American Family Association, um, I think the Fellowship hmm. of Christian, the, the Salvation Army. They've listed a number of Christian organizations hate as hate, hate groups, hmm. and Chick-fil-A has donated money to this particular organization. Hmm. And, so, and you can find it on their tax records. Like, it's public, public knowledge. So it's just interesting that <laughs> I honestly we're going to start to see the, the degradation of Chick-fil-A slowly but surely because here's the thing they're trying to pander to or at least what it seems it seems that they're trying to pander to a crowd that is known to bring franchises to ruin like you saw the same thing in the entertainment industry where they took the Ghostbuster series and they tried to feminize it you have this big push that strong women and 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 and, and, and minorities and diversity and they tried it, and it was a box office fail, and it turned a lot of fans off. The same thing just recently happened with the Terminator series. The same thing is about to happen with the James Bond series. The same thing <laughs> happened with the Men in Black series. And you see it over and over again that whenever you pander to this group of individuals who are pushing for this mindless diversity and inclusion and stuff like that, they don't have the financial uh, consistency to support the organization they're protesting. So they'll protest, they'll do a lot of talking, but when it comes to actually putting their wallets up, there's no backing it. So if Chick-fil-A is trying to pander to these this very small and these very hypocritical 
group of individuals, then it's it's not going to work out. Like it's really not because they don't have the 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 wallets to back it. And so, like, I'm just kind of in shock. I mean, it's just it's just kind of it's kind of funny at the same time because I don't see I don't see this being wise from a business perspective, let alone a spiritual perspective. Like, it's just not wise financially. So, well, why you say that? I mean, because. Like the group of people that are trying to appease this LGBT mm-hmm. feminist group, mm-hmm. they don't they don't really support things like the way they, the way they they that they say they could. Like for example, the Star Wars franchise, mm-hmm. they were they were trying to really push this um like these gay relationships in the Star Wars and and protesting saying you know we need more inclusion of diversities and stuff like that, but you. The, Star Wars toy sales have been at an all-time low. Like that merchandise has been at an all-time low, and that's that's part of the reason why they're kind of pushing this whole Baby Yoda thing now in the merchandise. <laughs> well, I don't know if you, I don't know if you know, but so Lucasfilm has a new oh. Star Wars series called The Mandalorian. Uh huh, I heard about yeah. that. Yeah, and so Baby Yoda is like all the talk of the internet right now. This cute little, yeah, it's pretty adorable. I can't lie, uh-huh. but. They're pushing the merchandise. A lot of people don't. That's know. the thing. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I think I saw a picture of the Rock holding that. Yeah. The, and he was talking about. I can't wait to bring this fella home to his little brother Kevin Hart. There's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so many baby other movies. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but like the, the the minorities who are pushing for this feminist and inclusion stuff, they don't support the businesses in the long run. They, it's not enough of them, and they're... They're a very small percentage. Right. Matter of fact, let's just put this out here right now. Everybody who's listening to this, Christians outnumber LGBT, period. Point blank. The only reason why they have any kind of say, any power, any authority, or anything like that is because they have intentionally tried to gain high-profile, high-power positions in government where decisions are made. Right. If you want to change the system, Christians, then get into the government. Stop trying to pray it away. You got to get in there and make it happen by actually putting your actions to the prayers that you're praying. See, this is the problem with Christians, and and this might take us a little bit away from the original subject because this is a pet peeve of mine. So many Christians want to be talking about how they prayed about something. But if you look at the Bible, when did people just pray and not do anything? David prayed, but he also went out there and kicked somebody's behind. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) He worshiped, and then he killed a a giant. He would go pray, and then he would kill some more people. I mean, it's the, the analogy is... You don't just pray and do nothing. You don't just pray and sit around waiting for something to happen magically from somewhere. That's not how it works. That's called faith without works. Right. It's dead. You don't get anything doing nothing. Right. Prayer is not enough, people of God. You have to pray and do something. Like I keep telling, well, I I stopped telling him, but there was a, a, a person that I know. He really wants to have a wife. I know he does. However, he's going about it the wrong way. Mm. He thinks he's just going to pray and <laughs> she's going to just show up in his face one day. 
he's just gonna be walking around just aimlessly or whatever, and then she's gonna voila appear. And I was like, I told him, I said, that's not how God works. I mean, every time you see a man in the Bible getting a wife, there was some action put towards whatever prayers were prayed or whatever. And sometimes it wasn't even a prayer prayed. It was a man making a decision. I want her. Boom. That's what David did. Mm -hmm. David made decisions. He was like, yo, I want this woman who is no longer with this idiot called, uh, I think his name was Nabal or something like that. (laughs) That name means fool, by the way. So he was like, since she ain't with him no more, I want her. Boom. He took her because why she had a servant's heart. He could see that about her. So he married her. But my point is that David didn't sit around praying, talking about, Lord, please send me a wife. And I'm just going to just wait here for her to come. And then sit there like he's going to just have her appear in his room or something like that. First of all, um, everything in the kingdom of God, not just in the kingdom of God, just the way life works, period. Everything requires action. Yeah. You don't sit around on your behind hoping that something happens. You have to put action towards the faith that you claim you have. That's where hope is mixed with your energy and that's for you to actually get that whatever it is by faith that you're trying to obtain. Because the thing is is that we can't expect to say, okay, if I if I want to get a brand new car, then I'm just going to pray for a car to come into my life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got to take your behind down to the dealership or you better be looking in some paper or Craigslist or something to see if somebody's selling the car. It's not going to just come to you unless it's a special situation where God, he knew it's a certain circumstance that you are in where you can't just go and buy a car, but you prayed about it. And you said, God, you know, I need this for this, blah, blah, blah. And then God says, okay. And then somebody shows up and they give you keys to a car. That's happened. Yes. That kind of rarity. Yeah, it happens. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to most things, especially when I, when it comes to, I'm just still staying on the spouse thing. When you're talking about getting a spouse or getting a house or getting a car or something, you have to put action towards whatever it is that you are saying you want. Mm -hmm. You can't just expect it to come because you prayed. So going back to what we were talking about with the LGBT, we call the alphabet people. That's what I call them. Mm -hmm. The alphabet people, um, going back to them, they are only 3% of the population of America specifically. 3%. How in a world are 3% of the people going to tell 97% what we're supposed to be doing? Yeah. So this is going to show you, this goes to show you, if you want things to change, if you want to turn the tide, we need more Christians to get into positions of power, period. That's all there is to it. And we need them to be just as adamant about what we believe as these alphabet people are about what they believe. That's the bottom line, man. We got to lobby for it. We got we to gotta protest for it. Not necessarily protesting like the old days, but, you know, 
where you actually do something that's going to really make a difference and an impact. Mm -hmm. You know, if we start saying stuff like, guess what? <laughs> if we could get Christians to actually come together to do something, I'm sorry to say, but part of the reason why we're lacking so much in the body of Christ is because everybody, every church has their own agenda, but none of them are coming together for the kingdom agendas that we need to be coming together for. No, know why? Part of it is because somebody always wants to be the shining star that's the leader of the pack. Right. That's why. I'm so tired of that. We're so ineffective in the church because we got a bunch of idiots that call themselves leaders that are not coming together with other leaders to make stuff happen because of pride, because they want to be all the shining star in the midst of everybody, and they don't want to have anybody else leading. They don't want to submit to somebody else's leadership or whatever the case may be. Or they don't even know how to come together in a partnership where it's you bringing your resources, I'm bringing mine, and we just come together and we're going after the same thing. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> the thing is, I'm calling, I'm calling for all of you leaders out there. And even if you don't think you're a leader, if you're in the body of Christ, you have a leadership quality in you to be able to lead in some type of way, in some type of industry, in some type of environment, somewhere you are a leader. You have to recognize it. But the point I'm making is that I'm calling to action all of you leaders who are out here, who want to see change, who want to actually see things change in government and laws and things like that of that nature to actually come together, find people that you can work with and come together for the same common goal. You know, one of the biggest things that the enemy has done with the body of Christ that has really weakened us as a whole is all of the denominational division. See, here's the problem with a denomination. It goes beyond just the spiritual teaching. What it then does is it causes people to say, you're in that group and I'm in this group. We don't mix together. So instead of them saying, you believe Jesus Christ is Lord, we believe Jesus Christ is Lord. That means we need to come together to make this happen. Mm -hmm. That's what we should be seeing. But we're not seeing that because... Like I said, too many people caught up on their own agenda that instead of them joining forces, I heard Sean Bowles say this. He said that in the, in the city of L.A., they had been um, looking for places to do some kind of a training and then also to have like emergency triage, some mm -hmm. kind of setup or whatever like that. Right. And they said we need. I think they said they needed 200 buildings or 200 locations, something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. But he said when he was there in this meeting where they were talking about it, he asked, well, what, what's wrong? Like, what happened? Why don't I see the church represented here? He said, because every time we go to them, they always got their own agenda. They don't ever want to join in with what we're doing to be a resource. Mm. He was like, what? So he ended up going out to some meeting somewhere. It just so happened to be a meeting of a bunch of pastors. And he puts it out there. He said, hey, everybody, I was at this meeting with the city government and some people like that. Um, 
they said the church isn't stepping up to do this, this, and that. How many of y'all are willing to do da 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 da? And he said people raised their hands or whatever to join in. And he was like, now they started something that has caused the city to actually now value the Christian community. Mm-hmm. Before that, they didn't value the Christian community because they're like, y'all don't do nothing. Right. Y'all got all your own agendas. You're not working to do anything to help the city do anything yeah. good. That's sad, man. That's a very, very sad testimony. Um, and we live in Baltimore. I don't know what it's like here in Baltimore because I haven't been in those kind of meetings yet. Notice I said yet because I'm going to start to look into how we could get into stuff like that. But the point is, is that um, if we want to see change, we got to see people in the body of Christ come together understanding that we have to focus on doing certain things and go after those things as we pray. Mm-hmm. But this is also tying back into legacy because the thing about it is if my legacy is to always be in my four walls and all I do is wait for people to come in instead of me going out to do anything, then my legacy ain't going to be worth nothing. Right. I know you have stuff stuff you want to say about the four walls. Man, that's a, you already know. I got, <laughs> I got a thousand. Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to get into a lot of those things, but I want yeah. you to speak on that, though, a little bit. Um. Well, <clears throat> uh, that was actually, I was actually in a, um, in a meeting not too long ago where um, there was a, uh, a guy who was a who's an elder at at a particular church, and um, he said that him and his congregation did something that was it kind of blew me away, and it was really it was really powerful. He said that they had just moved into this new area, and they were having uh, church gatherings inside of like a warehouse or something like that. And he said that a lot of the no none of the nearby churches would like respond. Well, like when they reached out to the church and stuff, they said everybody was keeping that distance from them. Was kind of like whispering about them and gossiping and stuff and um he said so um they were praying and they were asking the lord what he wanted them to do and um he felt like the lord had laid it on them to um to just have a uh like a uh host like a a a night where they would just like it would be dinner and they would just basically invite the church and just serve them. They would basically just be a blessing to the other congregations that were around there. No strings attached, not no offering, none of that stuff. They just wanted to be a blessing to the other churches. So he said they invited the um they invited the churches and um they were so blown away, the congregations that came, they were so blown away. Um and it, it basically, long story short, it, it really was a witness to them and it started to build relationships between them and the other churches. And it just blew me away because when I heard that story, I was like, wow, that's so like God, like Christ, to to fight evil with servitude. You know, like it says that Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It's just powerful, like I honestly think that that's a key, at least, that I've been looking for for a while because 
for a while I've been thinking like how can we really bridge the churches together? How can we get out of our own four walls? How can we get out of our own denominational mindset? And I think it just takes one person or one congregation willing to say, you know what, I'm gonna step up to the plate and I'm gonna serve in a way that's gonna be a blessing to others, you know. And I've seen that because I've seen God move like in incredible ways when 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 you just decide to go and just to, to serve, to be a blessing. Like I partnered with Baptist congregations, Pentecostal congregations, Catholics, mm-hmm. um, all types of people from all t- different types of denominations and seeing the power of God like manifest in incredible ways, like just seeing like a unity just manifest when I just decided, you know what, this is not about me. This is, a, you know, this is about, like you said, the bigger cause. This is about Jesus. Like, this is about literally saving someone from eternal damnation. Like, this is this is how serious it is. And that, and I honestly, I honestly think that we've lost sight of how serious the blood of Jesus is. Like, he literally came to save people from eternal separation from the Father. Like, not in the next life and in this life. Like, he came to bridge that relationship. And so I think that we're really focused on a lot of the wrong things. The church is really, it's so focused. And I think it's it's, it's kind of connected to Chick-fil-A. Because I think what they think they're doing, because they said that um, one of the statements that was made by Chick-fil-A, one of the official statements was saying that as they expand their reach, they want to make it clear. They want to make clear their vision and mission going forward. And what I think is that they've gotten such into a mindset where, okay, this is how we're going to grow. We have to be more inclusive, quote unquote. And I think that's where the church is really kind of met the same pitfall. We're so concerned about, quote unquote, growth that we've lost track of what it really means to to just love one another. Like everything else comes from that. Like if you just love one another, everything will happen naturally. And I think that a lot of churches have become so compared. It's just crazy. Like the society we live in, like it's the Instagram mindset. Like I see an account with 10,000 followers or 100,000 or a million followers and I only have 600 followers. And then I start comparing myself. Oh, my my post only got five likes. There's his 5,000 likes. My post only got 10 views. There's got 100 million views. You know what I'm saying? And I honestly... It's, it's really sad that churches have begun to compare themselves like that. Not every church is meant to be a, just to put it frankly, be a big congregation. We're meant to be one big global congregation, but we're not meant to, not not every church is meant to have 10,000 followers. The, the measure of a church is not how many people are in it. I mean, I hate to say it to an extent, yeah. I'm not just being like ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. But like, we have to get back to the heart of what our walk is really about. Like, are people connecting with one another on a spiritual level? Are they growing? Are they developing? Is everyone contributing to the kingdom? Are souls being saved? Are, you know, are we impacting our community for the gospel? Like, those are the measures we have to really get back to. You know, but I don't know. That's a whole other. Yeah, I feel <laughs> you, man. Well, you know, overall, <clears throat> the the point that we're bringing up here about legacies is, you know, what are we doing to continue our legacy to be the same even when we're gone? Because, like, mm. I know I'm not going to be around, 
you know, for a million years on the earth as it is in this body, you know. However, I know that what I'm building with certain things that I'm doing, I want them to last. So I want someone who's coming after me to continue and maintain that vision, to maintain that work, you know, to be an impactful person in that sense. And, you know, uh, my friend Bill Vanderbush, he was talking about his father, and he said um, he said his father used to do this recording, um, this show, where it was evangelistic. Mm-hmm. And he would do this where I think it would come out every Friday or something like that. Well, Bill took it over when his father passed away, and he continues that legacy. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it'll be continued by Bill's children or not, one of them or not, I don't know. But, you know, it's stuff like that. Like, sometimes I'm, I I guess some things are going to end at some point. Some things continue for generations or whatever. Um, but I guess it's all about what really is built into those that are going to be taken over, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily about the actual thing itself as it is about the children who come after and what impact this has on their lives and what impact their lives will have on the next generation and that it remains righteous, mm-hmm. you know? That's what I'm basically getting at. Yeah. Um, no, I think- and that's 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 such a true point. I think the key thing that's been missed, and you see this, you see this in different places. But I remember it was the priest, I think Eliezer, mm-hmm. whose sons were wicked. You see that he didn't raise up anybody to take his place or to fill in. And I saw most recently, um, I was talking to someone, and um, they were saying how their church was um, in the look of uh, looking for a pastor. And I was just kind of, in my mind, I didn't say this to them, but I was kind of like, what do you mean you're looking for a pastor? Because they said the pastor had gotten sick and they couldn't find anybody to take over. And I was like, how is that even possible? What kind of mindset would a leader have that they did not bring anyone alongside them, train them up in a way, equip them mm-hmm. so that... Because like Paul tells Timothy, he says that commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if we haven't even made that basic so thing... made a one-man show and right, that's it, it. And that's the... Like, that is the problem of the modern church in a nutshell. It's become a one-man show or very few show. Mm-hmm. And I think show is also a key word in that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we really have to break this mold of, of, of spectator Christianity. But anyway, that's a whole other. But anyway, but going back to like the legacy, I think that one of the key things to maintaining your legacy is to first to teach. Like like Paul says, teach other men who will be able to teach or um, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Mm-hmm. You have to teach people what to do and not just about what you tell them, but actually putting them in a position where they have to put those things into practice and seeing if they can bear fruit from it. And I think this is something that Jesus was so serious about. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Anybody in me who does not bear fruit, my father will pluck up because he's so serious about carrying on his legacy. He's like, but if you bear fruit, then I'll cut back the things that are not bearing fruit so that you can bear more fruit. And I think that's such an important thing is that you're you're teaching people, you're putting them in positions where they can demonstrate it, where they can practice it. And you're, you're telling them, okay, well, this didn't work. Why about you try this? And you're crafting and you're developing. And 
I mean, it's sad to say, but poss- maybe possibly that's that's what happened with Chick-fil-A. The, the CEO, the founder, rather, he just didn't bring somebody alongside, say, hey, you do this. Hey, you know, where's your heart at? Let's sit down and have a conversation. Did he really have that conversation with anyone that could really carry on his legacy? And if not, then this is probably why we're seeing what we're seeing today. I mean, I think some people just thought, like you said, like they were immortal or something. And it was a one man show and he never raised up anybody else to come along and to and to carry that mantle. And it's, that's that's just it's just crazy. Yeah. And then when I think about it, I'm like, there's the question of who's worthy to carry on the mantle or to carry on the vision. You know, um, you can't just give it to everybody. Everybody right. is not equipped. Everybody is not Everybody's not equipped yeah. to, um, you know, do the work. And yeah. the thing about it is um, they also they also are not, um, they don't have the qualities that it takes to be able to, to do the work that's going to be necessary for that vision to continue. Because sometimes people, they have, a certain mindset that doesn't fit with your vision. And so the thing is, it's like, if you don't have the mindset to fit with a vision, then you're not going to be able to do it justice. You know, you'll be able to have, you'll have it still going for a certain amount of time, but then it's going to run out of the fizz because, Mm -hmm. you know, if that person who's doing all that doesn't even have the, you know, the whole um, passion for it, you know, that whole thing, that makes a difference if you don't have the passion for something like that. Yeah. So my thing is, if if you are raising up any kind of company, business, ministry, whatever the case may be, you need to have a Timothy, so to speak. You have to have someone that you can pour into, that you can mentor, that you can develop, and then you can say, hey, you gotten it all from me, so you got it from here. You know what to do. Mm-hmm. Boom, take it over, and then that, that person just, uh, they're going to duplicate that with someone else because they're going to find that there's someone that they could be like, all right, you're going to be my Timothy or you're going to be my Titus or whatever. You're going to be my right-hand person, and then you're going to take over for me because I know that you have my heart. I know that you have the skills. I know that you have the ability. You have the experience. I poured this into you. You have that passion. You're going to take this and take it to the next level. Yeah. And and I believe what we what we need to do, wow. those of us who are leaders, who have legacies that we're trying to leave, what we need to do is make sure that we develop those leaders well before we are going to be out of the picture, and then we allow them to take over while we're still there. Mm-hmm. And we say, all right, you got it. I'm just going to be here as your guide or your your advisor or something like that. And you got it from here. Yeah. It's all on you now. You, that, man, that is such, and this, this probably gets deeper into another conversation we need to have. But like, I honestly, when I look at the start of the early church, I find it such an amazing thing because you have the blueprint where it was Jesus. He entrusted his legacy to 12. The 12 entrusted their legacy to a multitude. The multitude, you know, you kept seeing the subdivide. But it was one thing that that amazed me is that when the apostles founded churches, 
they founded those congregations and then left them. And there was such a, a, I don't even know the word for it, but there was such a level of trust for the congregation. It's one thing where Paul, he actually writes to a congregation. He tells the congregation that they have the judicial authority to hand someone over to Satan for the destruction of life. Like he, he told that to the congregation, not to any one elder or anyone like that. He had such instilled his spirit into that congregation that they as a whole could now operate in the same level of, of spiritual excellence as Paul himself did. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's become so... Uh, it's a foreign concept because I think that like another thing that has to be broke is just one man, at least in the church world, one man entrusting his vision to one other man or to yeah, one other man. Yeah, like can you can a pastor walk away from his congregation and that congregation operate in such a level of unity that when you walk in, you know that it's Christ running the show and not any one person. I've never seen that. In any church I've been in, I can walk in and I won't have to say, um, I won't have, I, I wouldn't know that this person is a quote unquote the pet or whatever. I've never seen a congregation operating in that level of, but I don't Well, know. you know what? That's and, I'm, a, and that's a good point though. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you part of the reason why that hasn't happened is because most churches still have not shifted to this whole mindset of, it is a body thing and not a one person thing. Yeah. The mind, the mind of Christ says that there are fivefold gifts that are making other people ready for ministry. Right. So if you're making people ready for ministry, that means they're going to have the tools. They're going to be able to do it without you being there. Yeah. And so I've heard several people say something along these lines, but they basically say, work yourself out of a job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in other words, I'm not going to be the only one doing this. I'm going to do it to such a degree with you. I'm going to pour into all of you to such a degree that I won't have to do it. You'll be doing it. <laughs> and so that's where I'm at. You know, I, I want people around me to be so good at what they do that I don't have to do any work. I mean, quote unquote, I right. will be doing work, but mm-hmm. they can do it and it'll run seamlessly without me around. Yeah. And like, for instance, where I work, there's a supervisor who, I don't know why he has his mentality because it's so obvious that he's not that dude. But he tries to act like if he isn't there, things are not going to run smoothly. Yeah. And this dude, he leaves. <laughs> he, he leaves. And then next thing you know, he comes back a few days later and he's like, everything go good without me around here? Like, yes, <laughs> we didn't fall apart. And, you know, it wasn't like everything went into confusion and mayhem and all that. We're good without you here. You know what I'm saying? We got all these people here that know what they're doing. And they actually have to help you know what you you need to do. So, please. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, But the point is, is that that's how good we want it to be in a church or in a Christian organization that is spreading the gospel some kind of way we need it to be like that across the board where people are so well trained 
that you don't have to be there holding their hand to make it happen. Right. I never want to be in that position where I got to hold somebody's hand for something to happen. I don't even have enough patience to be holding somebody's hand like that. Yeah. I'm like, hey, if you don't get it after this many times, maybe you just ain't the one. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm not going to be, I can't, I don't like repeating myself a bunch of times. So I'll get to a point where I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But anyway, um, the whole point is that uh, there are things that we need to put in place. Jesus did it while he was here. And look at the results. I mean, you think about it. It started out with 12 faithful men. And now we have billions. Yeah. I mean, it's all these people around the world. Now, the next question comes, uh, how many of those people are actually disciples versus people talking about I'm a Christian? Right. So that'll probably whittle those numbers down a little bit. (laughs) But the point is, is that, you know, We've grown in numbers since the beginning of this. It's grown tremendously. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the Bible said that there would be this mountain that would fill the earth. Mm-hmm. You know, that mountain came from a rock that was hewn out of a mountain without hands. And it grew from there. So that body of Christ is getting larger and larger and larger. And it's supposed to be the biggest mountain on the earth. So... We got a lot of work to do in the body of Christ, man. You got any um you got any closing words you wanna say? I don't know. Just just I would just ask a question to everybody listening out there. Who is carrying your legacy? Like that that that's the question that's striking me. I think this has been a very powerful like even in non spiritual things, this has really just been convicting me and inspiring me on the business side of things about legacy. So that's my question to listeners. Who is carrying your legacy? And are you faithfully carrying the legacy of Christ? Yeah. So um, I just wanted to read this scripture real quick that you brought up, and I just wanted people to hear it. First uh, Corinthians chapter 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that have done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present. Oh, by the way, people, for all you that want to say, don't judge me, (laughs) there he is. He judged. <laughs> you need to shut that nonsense down. Everybody that says that, they saying it because they don't want nobody putting them in check. Right. They don't want nobody in their business. When they're doing something wrong or whatever, they don't want nobody to tell them they did something wrong. They just want to keep on doing what they want to do. That's what I find typically with people that say that. But that's another subject for another time. <laughs> we will touch that, believe me. Um, then he says... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Mm. And I'll just stop right there. So um, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. We appreciate your support. Please. What's up, family? This is Norman. Thanks for listening to New Numa. 
We appreciate you, and that includes your feedback. What do you like most about the podcast? What are your favorite subjects? What types of guests would you like to hear more? Shoot us an email today at new.numa.podcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. Peace.